It is a supernatural book, and it requires the Holy Spirit to understand it. And I know unsaved people can look at uh, the words of Scripture, and they can discern some facts, and they can get things. But when it comes to knowing the truth and having it impressed on the heart, you said these things are spiritually discerned. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit's help today. Help me to speak your truth, Um, not what me or someone else Uh, might consider to be true. It's your truth that matters. It's the only truth. And Lord, I pray you'd have our attention. Keep it from the distractions that might be weighing on our minds this morning. And for these next few minutes, may we just turn our attention toward your word and what you want to do in us with it. We pray in your name. Amen. So just three things this morning about these these saints. And I said a moment ago, these two verses are talking about the Christians who uh, come about, those who are saved during the tribulation period. But what is said about them is true for you and I as well. So let's talk about these, these saints, these Christians this morning. And the first thing is out of that first phrase in verse number 12, the proclamation of their faithfulness. The proclamation of their faithfulness. It uses that word patience. That word patience means to bear up under. And it's a very specific. Here's what I like about Bible study. And I want to encourage you to be a, a studier, a student of the Bible. That word patience is a specific word that is tied to bearing up under circumstances. The word is hupomone. It's spelled H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. It means to bear up relating to circumstances, to endure circumstances. There is a completely different word that is translated patience that has to do when it comes to people. And it's not even, it's not even closely related. Macrothumai is the word. We need patience with people, don't we? I saw a thing this last week. Uh, I share it on Facebook. I don't get ugly on Facebook very often, but every once in a while, I just things get on my nerves. And there was this thing, uh, I saw this little meme, and it said, if you want to go camping, do it in the Ozarks, not in the left lane. And I was like, well, that needs to be shared. <laughs> I, I need patience with people that think they ought to set up camp in that left lane on a four-lane highway. This word, though, the patience of the saints, it's talking about patience as it relates to circumstances. And the reason that the Holy Spirit chose that word is because he's talking about those that are enduring the circumstances of the great tribulation. Isn't that interesting? He didn't use the word there for patience dealing with the Antichrist or the false prophet. He says this is the patience that they have to endure the circumstances that they've been putting up with now for seven years. The patience of the saints. That word is is closely related to the word hope. Uh, this particular word. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, uh, it's, it's used in the same way. Patience and hope. We talked about that this morning in our Sunday school class. Doc, uh, Dr. Manley, uh, we were on the Doubting Castle and, and the hopeful, uh, the emphasis that hopeful had when he's trying to encourage Christian not to lose hope, your patience in hardship, church. Some of you have been through extreme hardship. Be patient. Bear up under that. Keep hope in the Lord. That's what's being talked about here. 
these horrible circumstances of the tribulation period, the threats from the Antichrist, and yet these saints, the Bible says, will remain faithful to the Lord. They're not going to worship Antichrist. They're not going to worship the devil like most of the world is going to during the tribulation period. They're going to hold up. In fact, these saints will endure every attack and affliction with the confident knowledge that their God is executing an eternal plan. They will know even during the tribulation period that God is working out his plan. They will be faithful even unto death, knowing that in the end, their faith is going to be vindicated and Satan's kingdom is going to be overthrown. They're going to know. They're going to know God is going to win. They know that they're part of a victorious people. Those Christians living through the tribulation period, they will be told by 144,000 evangelists and by two witnesses that God is going to win this, this battle. And they're going to be confidently living a victorious Christian life. And that's a great example for you and me. We need to understand that our enemy is always going to try to get us to compromise. They're going to be, they're going to be called out and singled out. We want you to deny Jesus Christ. We want you to take the mark of the beast, either in your right hand or in your forehead. They're going to be constantly called out. We'll not let you do anything in this world if you don't have the mark of the beast. And they're going to be constantly attacked by the enemy, but they're going to remain faithful. That is exactly how you and I ought to live our lives. We live under a barrage of attack that is designed to get us to abandon our faith. To turn away from the truths of God's word. In the end, it will ruin your life, it will ruin your family, it will ruin a church. Don't turn away. Satan would love for us to lower the standard of holiness. To relax our hold on Bible-based convictions, things that we can't... Here's what a conviction is. A lot of people say, well, I have a conviction about this or a conviction about that. Here's it. A conviction is something you'll die for. Everything else is a preference that you have personally. I'm not saying it's a wrong preference. But there are a lot of things that people claim to be convictions that they would not die for. A conviction is something you will die for. Many of these here in our text this morning that the Bible is talking about, these Christians, they are going to die for their conviction. They're not going to turn away. Now, on the short term, you and I know this, on the short term, it's easier to compromise those convictions. It's easier to back off on the aggressiveness of the scripture saying that there's only one way to go to heaven. It's more palatable to the world if you will say, well, you know, the Muslim and the Christian, they're worshiping the same God. This denomination and that denomination, they're really, they're really the same thing. They're not the same thing. You know, uh, was it 7-Up or Sprite used to have that, used to have that uh, tagline that said, the same thing, only different. Remember that? It's the same thing, only different. Well, that doesn't work. They can't be the same thing. There's a reason the word Baptist is on our sign out there. The, it's because we hold to Baptistic doctrines. The same, it's not the same thing. Now, it'd be easier. It'd be easier for you as a Christian not to be so wrapped up in being more like Jesus than you are yourself. It'd be easier if you'd compromise things. In the short run, it sure will. How much easier is it? Some of you have tried to swim upriver, literally. 
How much easier is it just turn around and just go with the flow? There's a place we like to, we haven't done it in a long time. We talked about it here a while back. There's a place over in the Smokies we like to go, and we would take our kids when they were little, and we'd snorkel in the river. And, and it was a good place to snorkel because the river just got deep there. There was a decent hole there, about 8 or 10 feet deep. Waterfall up here, and, and then there's this hole. Um, but the snorkel and to see the fish and what was going on underneath there, you had to pretty much stay stationary. So you had to face upstream, and you're doing your best to stay in this area. It's just about two or three feet, but you're having to kick your feet for all it's worth because that water's trying to push you the other way. Now, it would have been so much easier if you didn't want to wear yourself out, just turn around and, and snorkel the other direction. But the problem is you're moving so fast down that river, you're not going to see any fish or anything, and, and you compromise what you're trying to do. And it would be easier as a Christian if you would back off of trying to do things the Bible way and just go along with how the world interprets the Bible. Just be easier to do that. But you can't because there's a terrible cost to pay for that. And so we stick to the scriptures and they are proclaiming their faithfulness here. It says in verse number 12, here is the patience of the saints. If I compromise, I'm offending not the world, now I'm offending God. I'm causing him to remove his power from my life. We compromise as a church. We say, and I stand up here someday and I say, well, church, there's some things that we've been doing, but it's keeping people from joining our church. There's some things that I've been saying or, or our teachers have been teaching, and some folks have got mad and they're not giving their money like they should. So I think what we need to do is this. Now, you ought to have a lynching plan if that ever happens. If somebody stands, not literal, but somebody stands up and says, we've hurt some feelings with the word of God and some people aren't giving like they should. If, if a course of, of uh, or a change of course is, is proposed right there, you ought not to tolerate that. But there's church after church after church in our world over which God has written spiritually, he's written the word Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. And when churches compromise, and here's the thing, you can make a lot of people happy and you can get a lot of money if you don't biblically step on toes. You can do that. Paul told us that people love to have their ears tickled. I don't particularly like physically. I don't like people touching my ears. But Paul, I think, was speaking metaphorically when he said they like to have their ears tickled. I don't. I don't like to have my ears tickled literally, and I don't like to have them tickled biblically. I want someone to tell me this is what God's word says so I know how to live my life. On my own, I don't know how to do that. Well, these folks are proclaiming their faithfulness and, and our best course of action today is to follow their example. Paul articulated it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. He said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That could be the theme verse for these tribulation saints. They are going to be steadfast and unmovable. They are going to be patient in the Lord. I know the world doesn't appreciate your efforts in being Christ-like. Don't expect them to. Jesus said they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. But you're not seeking the world's approval, nor am I. 
We're seeking God's approval, so stay faithful here. There's the proclamation of their faithfulness, and it says here is the patience of the saints. They are bearing up under the terrible circumstances. And then the second part of that verse talks about the proof, the proof of their faithfulness. When it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They're going to demonstrate their faithfulness to the Lord in two ways. They're going to keep his commandments and they're going to keep the faith. And you know this, when we obey the word of God, it shows that we love him. That's the proof. Jesus said it on more than one occasion, but I'm just going to give you John chapter 14 and verse 15. He said there, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you flip that around, it will say, if you keep my commandments, you love me. That's Jesus's point. And that kind of, that kind of obedience to the word of God, it's irrefutable evidence that you love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's a good support text there in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. We won't turn there, but that's a good text for it. By refusing to deny Jesus, these saints here in verses 12 and 13, they have kept the faith. They maintained their faith in him, and they maintained their faith to, in the word of God. They're keeping the faith like Paul said he did. So many of these tribulation saints are are going to die during the tribulation. The Bible teaches, remember, we've talked about this in an earlier chapter, back in chapter 4 and 5, we talked about the fact that there's an innumerable number of people that John and this angel are looking at, and they're having this discussion. They say, well, who's that? That's the saints that are killed during the tribulation period. So there are going to be, apparently, millions saved during the tribulation period. And just as many martyred. We don't hear about that much today. But it's going to be commonplace. And they're going to they're going to love Jesus and they're going to keep the faith all the way to their death. That's the proof of their faithfulness. It would be easy for them to renounce Christ, but they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. These Christians will not deny him even though it will cost them everything. We talked about this when we talked about the mark of the beast here recently. Without that mark, they're going to be so limited, unable to buy, unable to sell, hunted and hounded and executed by the Antichrist and his armies just because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And yet they're going to stay faithful. They're going to love God and they're going to keep his commandments. They're going to keep the faith, the Bible says. Their obedience to God's word, their faithfulness to his truth, here again, it's a good example for you and me. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't forsake what you know is true. I I was talking to someone recently, and I, I love this quote by, I think it's Dr. Adrian Rogers, who said, don't forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And when, when times get hard in your Christian life, you have to go back to what you, what you cling to when things are going well. When, when it's hard, that's not when you give up on the faithfulness of God. I, that was such a good, that was such a good lesson this morning. Um, on here's some reasons why you can doubt God. If God has completely changed who he is, if God has proven himself unfaithful, if God has uh, lost his ability to help you, 
Well, none of those things are true. Although when it's in the dark, when we're in hard circumstances, when they're in the tribulation period, it may seem like God has lost his ability to help, but he hasn't. Don't forget in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And they don't. They obey God and they keep the faith. They keep going. That's a good example for you and me. We, we struggle in this world. In fact, I, I, wrote, I wrote this question down and I put it up on the PowerPoint. Why are Christians today so intent on being like the world, the same world that wants, it wants nothing to do with our Savior? Why do we pursue worldliness as Christians when this world wants nothing to do with the one who saved us? Don't, don't fall for it. Here these folks are. They can't buy food. They can't, they can't sell things to get money. They can't buy or sell. They're being persecuted for their faith in Christ, but they're staying with Christ. It says in the second part of verse 12, they keep his commandments and they keep the faith of Jesus. It's important that you and I follow this. It is easy to follow the world. In this world, it's hard to follow Christ. Stick with it. It will be worth, that old song says, it will be worth it all. When God's word is compromised and the gospel is watered down, the presence and the power of God is forfeited by Christians and by churches. There may be a full house. There may be a lot of money. But we're missing the power of God. And the, and the bodies in the seats and all the, money in, and all the money you want in the bank Neither of those things substitute for the power of God on you or on his church. There's that old hymn that was, uh, that was written. George Bev Shea wrote the music to it, but he didn't write the lyrics. That hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus. I love that song. I've, I, I've never sang that song as a solo because I think if you want it as a solo, just play George Beverly Shea singing it because it's not going to get any better than that. The end of the second verse says this. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Jeff sang that song recently, didn't you? And he sang that verse. And when you sang that, when you sang that verse, I'd rather be true to his holy name, I thought, that's, that's the song of the tribulation saints. That's what they sing. I'd rather be true to his holy name. And church, in this, in this, uh, in this life that you're living now, and I know we're not in the great tribulation period, thank God, but choose to be true to his holy name, regardless of how hard it gets. Be true to his name, be true to his truth. You have the proclamation of their faithfulness. It says, here is the patience, the endurance of the saints. Then you have the proof of their faithfulness. What is it? They're obeying God. They're saying they love Jesus, but they prove that by their obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Number three, in verse number 13, the prophet of their faithfulness. And this is the last thing I'll share with you this morning. From a worldly perspective, these tribulation saints give up a lot for their faith in Christ. They're going to suffer. They're going to starve. I would have to think, and we've talked about what's going to happen to the planet and the crops on the planet and things like that. Some of these people are going to starve to death because they can't buy or sell food. They're going to be martyred. Husbands and wives are going to watch their mates be tortured and killed. 
Parents are going to see their children suffer in a way that they never have before. What will it profit them? What is their payoff going to be for such pain? Well, that's what's talked about in verse number 13. Here's the payoff. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, write this down, John. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. God says they're going to be blessed. Those that die in the Lord, those that are suffering and those that are uh, anguishing and those that are hunted down and slaughtered, they're going to be blessed if they die in the Lord. That word blessed, you've heard this before, that word blessed means happy, fortunate, good for them. That's, that's the way that reads. Those who have trusted Christ as Savior in the tribulation period, they are going to trade a very harsh world for a glorious heaven. Blessed are they which die in the Lord. You know, you've heard that, you hear this at, and I hear it used very loosely, but you hear it at funerals a lot. When you're going through the receiving a friend's line, you know, we stand around, we talk to people, and we'll, we'll say things like this. We'll say, well, you know, they're better off now. They're better off now. You ever heard that at a funeral or waiting in line? That is only true for one person. It's only true if that person knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. I don't care how hard they suffered, maybe how, how terrible their death was through some type of terrible cancer. If they don't know Christ as their Savior, it would be better for them to have stayed on this earth and endured the pain of that cancer because it's not better off for them. But verse number 13 The paraphrase of verse number 13 is they're better off now. They certainly are. Blessed are they that die in the Lord. Uh, Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter number 1 verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. There is no Christian in this room today or joining us online. There's no Christian in this room that thinks that it's better to be here than there. Not if you have any kind of understanding of heaven. Paul said it is far better to be with Christ. No wonder the Holy Spirit here says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Better off. That is absolutely true. Death for God's children does not have to be feared. Let me draw some pictures of death for you as a Christian. Now, if you're lost here today, if you're uncertain about if you're uncertain about your your eternal state after you die this is not for you i'm just talking to christians right now death is a doorway that allows us to leave time and enter eternity death is a gate that leads to the heavenly home that jesus is preparing for us right now it says in john 14 death is a pathway that leads us into the waiting arms of our savior what a, what a tremendous comfort that had to be for Stephen as he was being stoned in the book of Acts. Those men were throwing stones. And when you read that, when you read that process, by the way, of being stoned in uh, the Bible, don't, don't fall prey to the cartoonish pictures that are drawn of the stonings where guys are standing there with stones in their hands and they're able to hold stones like this. Even the stonings that take place in the Middle East today 
the stones that are thrown at people in that form of execution are so heavy they have to be held with two hands. Stephen's being stoned. His body's being broken and crushed. And the Bible says he looks up and he, what does he say? I, I see the Son of God standing. I, I, he's waiting. Death for the child of God is simply a pathway that takes us to the waiting arms of our Savior. That's, that's why the scripture says those that die in the Lord are blessed. There was a Presbyterian minister by the name of Henry Van Dyke, and that uh, to say he was a minister is rather limiting because he was also an author and a poet, an ambassador to the Netherlands, and a professor. Uh, he was an educator at university. He wrote a poem that illustrates what death is like for the child of God, and he called that poem, Gone from My Sight. The poem draws a picture of death as a ship sailing away from earth to heaven, carrying our loved ones to Jesus. Then someone at my side says, there, she is gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. And, and then Mr. Van Dyke describes the view of the ship that's sailing away from us, but arriving in heaven. And he says this, and just at that moment when someone says, there she is gone, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes. And that is dying. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We see our loved ones leaving the earth Heaven says, well, here they come. That's death for the Christian. So the Holy Spirit says, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. That's what death is. Nothing in this world compares to what's going to be yours and mine when we get to heaven. No matter how good you have it, you can't compare to what is coming. Verse 13 touches on two blessings that hold true for the tribulation saints who've lived through this. And by the way, these blessings hold true for you and me too. The first says they will rest from their labors. It says that in verse 13. The spirit that, uh, yea, say it the spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now that's true for all of us. It's specifically true for them because they are going to endure living on planet earth during the most horrific time in human history. There will never be a time of suffering in human history that is going to compare with what takes place on planet Earth during the Great Tribulation period. And so the Bible says that they're going home to rest, and it says they're resting from their labors. That word labors is another very specific word. It doesn't mean just work. It means work that exhausts. Work that wears you out. Have you ever finished a work day? And maybe every day that you have isn't like this at your job. But have you ever finished a day where at the end of that day, you are exhausted? To get home, you're thinking to yourself, I, okay, I need to pick up my left foot, move it forward, then pick up my right foot, move it forward. You're wore out. You are slap exhausted. That's the word here. They are resting from their exhausting work. It is the picture of a soldier who's been through battle after battle after battle, and now he needs R&R. It's the picture of the sailor who manned the gun on the deck of the ship uh, during an air, air attack, 
and they are mentally and physically wore out, and now they need some shore leave. They're wore out because of their labors. These tribulation saints have given their all for Jesus here on earth. Every day was a mental, emotional, and spiritual battle for them because they're being hunted like animals. Every victory they experience is through a battle in this. They have given everything they've had. And now, the Bible says, they are going to rest from their labors. Hold hold your finger right here at chapter 14, would you? Would you flip over to chapter 21? I'm always hesitant to do this because we eventually have to get to chapter 21. So I won't comment on this. I just want to read this. But look at the blessing that awaits in heaven. Chapter 21, verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he will be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Would you look at verse number four specifically and read that through the eyes of a tribulation saint? Now, that verse number four is for you and me. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, verse number four is for you and me as well. But would you read 21.4? Would you read that through the eyes of someone who's, who's passed through the great tribulation period? No more pain, no more suffering, no more death. That last phrase, those former things have all passed away. What a comfort that is. To these saints, they are going to rest from their labors. The fact is that living for God in that day is going to exhaust them. Living for God today can be wearisome. It can make you weary. If you are in the wrong work environment, and some of you may be, you may work with just a bunch of heathen people who could care less about God and want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And day after day, you're in that environment. That wears on us. And you're trying to live a Christian life. And you're trying to be ethical because people are watching you because you've told people that you're a Christian. And so in your business dealings, you're trying every decision you make to do what's right. And day after day in that environment, it gets weary. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. You're trying to live a godly life in an ungodly world. You talk about swimming upstream. Everything in this world is pointed against you, Christian, fulfilling that kind of thinking. Paul knew this, and so he encourages us in Galatians 6, 9, and he says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Don't be weary in well-doing. Being holy in a a godless world, it does wear you out. It does get old. But there's coming this day of rest from our labors. 
This is written, I know, it's written about the tribulation saints, but it is just as applicable to you and to me. And when we arrive there on whatever day and whatever way that is, we'll never be burdened again like we are in this life. Some of you are physically battling every day. Something, something's wrong with your body. You're battling that every day. Some of you, it's a mental thing. Satan comes not after your body. He comes after your mind. And he assaults you. Dr. Manley talked this morning about the great, dep- uh, the great depression that Charles Haddon Spurgeon battled. The prince of preachers battled deep depression. Sometimes Satan comes after our minds. But God knows how to refresh us. In this life and in certainly in the life to come. But even in this life, God will strengthen you. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 25... As thy days, so shall thy strength be. If God brings you into circumstances, he's going to strengthen you for that. He will not, Scripture says, put on us more than, uh, more than we can bear. So instead of saying, what's the use in throwing up your hands, throw up your hands and say, God, just help me. Just do that. Remember Peter, uh, when he was sinking in the thing? He didn't go into some elaborate prayer, did he? Lord, save me. And when you're desperately in need of help, that prayer works just fine. He's starting to drown. Lord, save me. That's all he did. So they are, they are promised this blessing that they are going to rest from their labors. And then the second, the second blessing here is they will be rewarded for them. It says that their works do follow them. Or in other words, their labor for Christ is going to be recognized in heaven. It will not, as Paul said, it will not have been in vain. What you do for Christ, what you sacrifice on this planet, it will be rewarded. God is going to record those things, recognize them, and reward them as well. And that's true for every one of us. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter number 3. And look at, look at Paul's words here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 12 <clears throat> says, now, if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation of salvation, you're saved, there's the foundation. If any man builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, he uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If our work is right, what does that mean? If our work is right, how can I how can I guarantee that my work or your you guarantee that your work is gold, silver, or precious stone, and not wood, hay, and stubble? Wood, hay, and stubble that's going to get burned up in the judgment fire. But gold, silver, and precious stone that's just going to that's just going to come through just fine. How can I guarantee that? Here it is. What you do for Christ, do with the right motive. That's the determiner. Because this is the truth. I can preach or sing or usher or teach or play an instrument. I can do all those things. But if they're done with the wrong motive, they're going to burn up. There's wood, hay, and stubble. They may look good on this earth, but the best I'll get is anybody's congratulations on this planet. Boy, that was a good song this morning. 
That was a good lesson this morning. That was a good sermon this morning. And that's your reward if that was done for the wrong motive. What is the motive that I have to do these works for? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So my motive and your motive for the works that we do for Christ, any service you offer for Christ, you do it for God's glory. You want to be kind to someone, be charitable to someone, do it for God's glory. You want to be involved in in a certain ministry, do it for God's glory. And we ought to do those things. We ought to be charitable to people. We ought to be involved in a ministry, exercise our gifts, but do it with the right motive And God says he'll reward us for it. We just saw that video. Man, if you didn't see it, I I don't know if we're putting those up on our website, if they last long or not. On Wednesday nights, we're doing a series I've entitled, uh, He Being Dead Yet Speaketh. And we've shown, the last three Wednesday nights, we've shown a John Phillips video. We're showing the fourth one this week. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, if you come this Wednesday night, I guarantee you, you'll be encouraged by this message. I guarantee it. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you may just think you wasted your time. But if you're a Christian, this message that we're hopefully going to show Wednesday night, it is a fantastic, it is a fantastic message on the coming king. John Phillips, this last week, the video we watched called The Judgment Seat of Jacob. And if you saw that video, there was one thing he said in there that really stuck out. He said that the judgment seat, and it's, it's a parallel, the judgment seat of Jacob in Genesis 49 is a parallel to the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there is a, uh, there's a phrase that he mentioned in there, and he said the judgment seat of uh, Christ is not about salvation. It's not about whether or not you're in the family. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're in the family. It is about rewards. Salvation is freely given to us. This was Dr. Phillips. Salvation is freely given to us, but every reward that you're going to receive in heaven has to be earned. And he promises here that their works do follow them in Revelation chapter 14. They're going to be rewards handed out in heaven. That word reward is used three times in, uh, it's used three times in the Revelation Twice it's talking about reward for faithful Christians. Once it's talked about rewarding Babylon for her fornication. But two times it's talking about you and me and the reward that we have. Chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 says that when we get our rewards, our worship for the Lord Jesus Christ is going to motivate us to take those crowns, those rewards that have been given to us. Our worship of Jesus is going to lead us to lay those crowns at his feet. We're not even going to keep them for ourselves. Because we'll know that anything good we did on this planet, we only did by the grace and the power of God. So he gets the rewards. He gets them right back. Man, the contrast in these these two groups of people couldn't be greater. What the end holds for the sinner and what the end holds for the saint. Those who reject Jesus Christ spend eternity apart from God's presence in a place called hell. It's not a, it, that's not a fable. It's not an opinion. It is an absolute fact. But those who accept Jesus Christ will enjoy eternity in God's presence in, in heaven. 
And I made note of this last week, but it bears repeating. A millisecond after you die, you are going to be in the place where you spend eternity. Don't let some false religion tell you that you're only, you can go here after you die, but then you can go somewhere else. You can't. It, there's nothing in the Bible. Nothing in the Bible indicates that. Not Old Testament, not New Testament. Everything is someone lives forever, and it's either in hell or it's in heaven. So having said that, I'm going to close with three questions for you this morning. The first question is this. Would you like to be saved today? Have you struggled with this long enough? Has the sleep you've lost over whether or not you're really going to heaven, are you about ready to be done with that? Would you like to be saved today? Here's God's promise to you, both in John chapter 6. John 6 verse 37 says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What is that? You come to Jesus, he'll save you. That's it. No no tricks, no nothing. You come to Christ, he'll save you. John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Wouldn't you like to be saved today? The second question is this. Are you already saved? Then if so, you ought to praise him for what you have here and what you're going to have in eternity. Because those promises in Revelation 14, verse 13, are just as much for you as they are the tribulation saint. Rest from your labors, reward for your work. And the last question is this, to those who are saved, are you faithfully serving Jesus today? Or have you allowed coldness or compromise to come into your heart and to hinder you from just doing what God wants you to do. Where are you at today? The the difference between these two groups of people can't be greater. Those that know Christ and those that don't. Their life experience on this planet will be completely different from each other. And certainly the eternal destiny that they're heading for is going to be completely different than each other. So ask yourself this morning, what is, God's, what is God's word saying to me today? Because God's word is for every one of us. What is this calling me to? Are you saved? Or would you like to be saved? Are you faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you stand together with your heads bowed? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for telling us what lies ahead. And thank you for not leaving us in the dark. And we ask for your forgiveness for not knowing your word better about these things. It has, been, it has been encouraging and sobering and rewarding to go through this book so far and to see exactly what your plan is. And now, Father, we come to this, this chapter and you have, you've drawn a very clear line Saints and sinners, heaven, hell. And I don't know who in here or who listening to us today is saved and who's not, but you do. And Father, I pray 
that if there's one person here, just one, that doesn't know for certain that they're saved, help them to come today and let someone show them from your true word how they can be saved and they can have sins forgiven, they can have this penalty removed, this this threat of hell, how it can be taken away forever. I pray for the Christian who might be here today whose heart is cold and uh, and Lord, they're not. They're not living for you. They've compromised some things. I ask that you would use your word through the work of your Holy Spirit's conviction and challenge in our hearts to accomplish your will in us today. And I pray this in your name. Amen.